Is homosexuality a sin? As you may know, that's being hotly debated in our world and even within the church today. Here's Pastor Ed Taylor. Now, the main response almost always in the context of a relationship with God is that when the sin of homosexuality is mentioned, automatically there's a response that says, it's not a sin and God is okay with it. And God created me that way, therefore he's okay with it. But according to God, as revealed through his scriptures, living in the unrepentant lifestyle of homosexuality is just as spiritually deadly as living in the unrepentant sins of thievery, lying, adultery, fornication. You name the sins. Living in unrepentant sin puts you in a very dangerous, precarious place with your spiritual life. This is amazing grace. Hello, friend. We are so glad you joined us as we present another edition of Abounding Grace. As we continue through 1 Samuel, we're going to pause to address a very relevant issue springing from 1 Samuel 18. Some have looked at David and Jonathan's relationship and drawn the conclusion that they were homosexuals, and thus God approves of it. But is that a fair rendering of the text? Today and for the rest of this week, Pastor Ed Taylor will set out to answer that not based on his own feelings on the matter or the cultural norms, but rather on the authoritative Word of God. 1 Samuel chapter 18 is one of the places that we will be in our Bible study today. Again, the Bible study is entitled, David and Jonathan were not homosexuals. Here in 1 Samuel chapter 18, it's very important for us to pause from our regular verse-by-verse and chapter-by-chapter study through 1 Samuel and ask a very important question that is being asked throughout our culture and society today. And the question is this, does God approve of homosexuality? In particular, due to the text, we could also ask the question, were David and Jonathan homosexuals? And some might think, what does that have to do with our Bible study in 1 Samuel, where the Bible has much to say about our life and relationships, both with one another and with him? And it's very unfortunate that this portion of the Bible, as well as some other verses later on in chapter 20, as well as in 2 Samuel chapter 1, have been misused and twisted and used as false pieces of evidence that indeed God does approve of homosexuality. And while our culture is changing all around us, we can stand fast upon the unchanging word of God and gain the truth from God, not bring truth to God. Now, again, before we get into the depth of our Bible study tonight, let's cover a few things just at the outset. Number one, this is an adult-themed Bible study. So if you have small kids in the sanctuary, you'll want to use our children's ministry. Secondly, the topic of sin is not a popular one today. It's not a popular one to focus upon, especially when it touches close to home, especially when it touches close to people that we care about, people that we work with, people that we love, people that are in our family. It will be uncomfortable for some to hear the things that the Bible has to say. And thirdly, 
If you're caught up in sexual sin of any kind, God loves you. And he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you. There is not one sexual sin that is brought up above another. They all have the same penalty. And as a pastor and as a man, I don't judge you. I don't condemn you. I love you. And I care for you. Enough to take Bible in hand and turn its pages and give you not only the crux of what's being taught, but the context and the understanding. So you can take what you believe and you can take what you've been told and you can compare it to the scriptures. God rescued me from a horrific past life of sin. That without the power and the grace of God, I wouldn't be standing here before you. While my life did not navigate through the homosexual lifestyle, I was involved in enough sins that would bring the judgment of God upon my life should I have died in those sins. So in many cases, I'm no different than you. In many ways, my life is no better than you. And as we talk about these things, lest there be some kind of resistance, hey, if it wasn't for the grace of God, and if someone that, I, that was a friend of mine didn't tell me the truth, I'd be in the same condition as I was living against God, not wanting anything to do with God, except if you would have asked me, I would have told you I was a Christian. My life would have said otherwise, but I would have told you that I, I was a Christian, that I didn't really have anything against God. The Bible says this, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That's the purpose of Jesus Christ. The words that I share with you today are not hate speech. They're not words of bigotry. Those are false accusations. These are words of truth. Jesus didn't come to condemn you. And yet when we talk about subjects, what happens inside of you, and this is about any sin, friend, what happens inside of you, if there's any softness to your heart still left, which many do have, there is a condemnation that you feel. There is a weight that you carry. The consequences of sin are heavy. They're hard. They're difficult. Do you know what the Bible says? The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. You you carry around in your behavior contrary to God's heart for you, you carry around a death sentence. That's hard to do. And at times you'll be so heavy you carry, you'll point the finger at other people and accuse them of hating you or of speaking words of bigotry, and it's not true. It's simply not true. And I ask you to consider what the Bible has to say on this topic. I consider you to receive the words and stick with me all the way to the end. You see, when I mention the sin of homosexuality, I'm sure to get all sorts of responses. Some will be very angry and say it's an alternative, acceptable lifestyle. Others will answer, I was born that way and I don't have a choice. Now, the main response almost always in the context of a relationship with God is that when the sin of homosexuality is mentioned, automatically there's a response that says, it's not a sin and God is okay with it. And God created me that way, therefore he's okay with it. But according to God, as revealed through his scriptures, living in the unrepentant lifestyle of homosexuality is just as spiritually deadly as living in the unrepentant sins of thievery, lying, adultery, fornication. You name the sins. Living in unrepentant sin puts you in a very dangerous, precarious place with your spiritual life. You see, the sin of homosexuality isn't new. Sexual sin isn't new. There's sexual sin of those that are listening to me right now. The sin of fornication, which is sexual sin outside of marriage. The sin of adultery, which is sexual sin with someone outside of your marriage. Sexual sin isn't new. It's been with us from the beginning of time. It was especially rampant in the ancient world. 
the Roman Empire, the world that Jesus came and taught the, taught the truth to and gave love and, and, and came with the message of hope and peace, was rampant. The Roman Empire was filled with sexual sin. Yet what's different about it today is that many Christians think it should be accepted as an alternative lifestyle and is no longer in the categories of sin. You have to understand, the church in Corinth, the city of Corinth, which was a real city not unlike Denver or Aurora or Los Angeles or Las Vegas or any city for that matter, was filled with sexual sin, filled with homosexual sin, filled with homosexual prostitution as well as heterosexual prostitution. And it was in that city that the gospel came with such great power that men and women turned away from their past sinful behavior, their past sexual sin behavior, their past any sinful behavior. And the Bible will say, as we'll see in a moment, and such were some of you. It was their past. They left it in their past. They repented from it and turned from it. Whole sections of the, God, of the letter to the church in Corinth, known as 1 Corinthians, was written to highlight and identify the beautiful, life-changing work of the grace of God. And he used them as an example. And without say, having a show of hands today, I'm certain that we could say the same for many that are listening to me. Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were changed, you were transformed by the grace and the love of Jesus Christ. What's different today is it's becoming more and more popular to accept this sinful behavior in our culture. Many no longer believe it's a sin. Many in our churches today think it's simply another way to express committed love. Our Supreme Court is about to decide whether it's a federal civil right And judging from our previous federal court decisions when it comes to strong stands of morality, it appears that they'll go the same way they did with Roe v. Wade declaring that it's okay to kill a baby in the womb, that it will now be okay and be established as a civil right, overturning the basic and obvious definition of marriage by allowing and mandating homosexual unions to be called marriage in all 50 states. That's coming up in this term. I read recently one popular news anchor declared, and I quote, we don't get our rights from God, but from man. And that therein lies the problem with the thinking of the world today. Our rights don't come from man. Our rights come from God. As the phrase has often been said, these are God-given. See, if God gives the rights, then God can define the rights. And when you remove God from the equation, as our culture has on this topic, then rights can be established by whoever has the loudest voice, albeit a small vocal minority. You and I need to be careful that even when there are vocal majorities or minorities, a majority or minority does not establish the truth. Only God through his word establishes the truth. And we yield to him. You see, even churches... Now, we know that many of the mainline churches have changed their bylaws and changed and established, allowing all sorts of things related to homosexuality no longer being a sin. But now, just in the news this week, we're beginning to see what is termed evangelical churches begin to cave under the pressure. And, well, let me quote to you from an article I recently read in Time magazine of the church, in, it's called Grace Point Church in Nashville, and I quote, from the pastor and the leadership there. Our position that these siblings of ours, other than heterosexual, our position that these are siblings cannot have the full privileges of membership, but only partial membership has changed. 
he said, as many in the congregation stood to their feet in applause and others sat in silence. Full privileges are extended now to you with the same expectations of faithfulness, sobriety, holiness, wholeness, fidelity, godliness, skill, and willingness. That is expected of all. Full membership means being able to serve in leadership, give all of your gifts to and receive all the sacraments, not only communion and baptism, but child dedication and marriage. This is another example of a church that has abandoned the word of God and caved under the pressure. And it shouldn't surprise us as the pressure, well, maybe on a smaller scale, you can even see in your own life where pressure has caused you to make a decision that wasn't quite clear in the word of God. And you look back, you go, I never should have made that decision. I should have stayed the course. I should have kept my eyes on the Lord. I should have held to not just holiness, but purity. And from God's perspective, all the way back in the Levitical law, hold your place in 1 Samuel. We're not there yet, but we will address that text. Go back to Leviticus with me in Leviticus chapter 18. All the way back as God establishes the holy law. As the children of Israel are leaving establishing a new life they've been delivered from egypt in leviticus chapter 18 verse 22 the bible says this you shall not lie with a male as with a woman it is an abomination chapter 20 verse 13 same book leviticus chapter 20 verse 13 well let's go back for the sake of context to verse 10 if you would the man who commits adultery with another man's wife, he, com- who, he who commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer or the adulteress shall surely be put to death. The man who lies with his father's wife has uncovered his father's nakedness. Both of them shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. If a man lies with his daughter-in-law, both of them shall be per- surely put to death. They've committed perversion. Their blood shall be upon them. If a man lies with a male as he lies with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall be surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. Later in Romans chapter 1, Paul will declare, as inspired by the Holy Spirit, that homosexuality is a very low point for a person in a downward spiral of twisted sin. It's forbidden. Why? Well, like all sin, homosexuality is not bad just because it's forbidden. It's forbidden because it's bad. It cuts to the core of God's creation and intention for one man, one woman, one lifetime. Not only is it declared sin and forbidden, but it also distorts and disrupts the very picture of marriage as it relates to Jesus Christ's relationship with his redeemed ones, the church. It distorts the reality of what God has established in his word. Now, it's important to pause here for a second and answer a fundamental question and a common accusation whenever anyone opens up to the book of Leviticus to establish a moral statement. Looking at the law, the prohibition, and this is what folks will say to you in preparation for the dialogue, looking at the law, the prohibition against homosexuality is given alongside laws like eating pork and shrimp and even the mixture of fibers within the clothing that you're to wear. And so what you'll hear is, nay, how could you say that homosexuality is a sin? Does that mean I can't eat shrimp anymore? Now that is a leap, of course, and a lack of understanding of the true teachings of the scriptures, a lack of understanding the distinction, and you might want to jot this down, between God's moral law and God's ceremonial law. Because there's also the the penalty of being put to death. 
And so some will even go to that extreme and say, now, wait a minute, why aren't adulterers being put to death today? Why aren't homosexuals being put to death today? Or any of those types of things. And the answer to that one is a very easy one. Jesus Christ was put to death for that sin. And by faith in him, his life and his death and resurrection can be exchanged for your life and your, your eternity. But here's the thing. It really doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter in any way whatsoever how sin is dealt with only relationally to eternity because the Bible says that we will all die, every single one of us. We will all shed this body. Why? Every single funeral that we ever attend reminds us that the penalty of sin is still in effect because the penalty of sin is not just physical death but also eternal death. And so in relationship to the penalty, the penalty has now been taken by Jesus Christ. And God graciously is waiting for you to, re- to, to repent of sin and submit yourself to the God who created you. But secondly, we need to understand the distinction between the ceremonial law as well as God's moral law. Ceremonial law is temporary. God's moral law is unchanging. God's moral law because it's tied to his character. Now, the Metropolitan Church of Christ uh, is a church that is dedicated primarily to those in the homosexual lifestyle. And from their own writings, I quote, Christians today do not follow the rules and the rituals described in Leviticus, but some ignore its definitions of their own uncleanness while quoting Leviticus to condemn homosexuals. Number one, we don't use the scriptures to condemn homosexuals. I made that clear in the beginning. I use the scriptures to, as a mirror, reflective upon your life. I don't condemn you, and neither does Jesus. So again, as, as the, the topic is being defined by those that are defensive, they begin to lay things, and I, I'll just correct things as we go along for the sake of those that are listening in very intently. We don't condemn you. Such abuse of scripture, it's not an abuse of scripture, distorts the Old Testament meaning and denies a New Testament message. You shall not lie with a male as one lies with a female is abomination. These words occur solely in the holiness code of Leviticus, a ritual manual for Israel's priests. Their meaning can only be fully appreciated in the historical, cultural context of the ancient Hebrew people. Israel is in a unique place as the, as the chosen people of the one God and was to avoid the practices of other peoples and gods. It's interesting, as you read this carefully, that you see that there is a moral stance being taken. It just is a moral stance just a little bit outside of the current behavior. Because as they write this, they say, well, you know, look, you're misusing Leviticus and you're distorting it. And it was for the Hebrew people to stay holy and pure and avoid the practices and the peoples of false gods. To which I would say, yes. God's heart has always been for a people to himself. The priest only acted as representatives, representing God to the people and people to God. They weren't a class of people in and of themselves that didn't live by the same standards of everyone else. I go on. The rituals and the rules, continue quoting, the rituals and the rules found in the Old Testament were given to preserve the distinctive characteristics of the religion and the culture of Israel. That's partially true. They were also given to reflect the holiness and the purity of a righteous God. But as stated in Galatians chapter 3, Christians are no longer bound by these Jewish laws, but by faith in, as we live in Jesus Christ, not in Leviticus. To be sure, ethical concerns apply to all cultures. yes. The big question is, if ethical concerns apply to all cultures, this is the question. Who defines what ethical issues apply? 
I suggest that it's not man and his behavior. I suggest to you that God has, will, and forever define the holiness and purity that he requires from his creation. So, what is the biblical answer? Well, let's make the distinction between ceremonial law and moral law. Ceremonial laws, as I've said, are temporary. Moral laws are transcendent. Ceremonial law has passed away and is fulfilled in Jesus Christ, yet the moral law continues on without any change by Jesus. For example, number one, if the laws of homosexuality were merely ceremonial in Leviticus and therefore abolished, then so would rape, incest, bestiality, adultery, and any kind of sexual sin. They would have to go together. I don't know if you're noticing And again, perhaps you're listening in right now and you're involved in a homosexual relationship. But in these relationships, many of the connections are falling apart and they're going from relationship to relationship. Why? Because of more sexual sin. There is a lack of fidelity even within. Now, what is the cause of many divorce today among married couples? A lack of fidelity in the realm of sexual sin. And the same thing is happening within. If sexual sin didn't apply to a certain class of relationship, then you would find that not only being rampant in relationships uh, in these homosexual connections, but you would also just say, well, they just bypass it since there's no really, there's no law against it. There's no need to, to worry about if you go out and be with this person and that person and that person. There's no monogamy within it. Why? Because there are lines being drawn outside of the scriptures that still apply in any type of relationship whenever trust is broken. That trust is established by God defining what trust really is. And I suggest to you that the rampant decay in our culture is an abandonment of the word of God. And if homosexuality is to be dismissed, so is rape, incest, bestiality, because these are condemned in Leviticus chapter 18. You're listening to Pastor Ed Taylor on Abounding Grace, and there's obviously much more to this message, which we'll save for next time. You can hear it in its entirety online at calvaryaurora.org. Just do a search for David and Jonathan were not homosexuals. And I think it's safe to say that there is probably someone who's listening right now that's involved in a homosexual relationship or tempted to do so. What would you say to them if they feel as though they were born this way? And is there a way out? Lately in our society, you know, Larry, homosexuality has really become popular and doors have begun to open and walls seem to be falling and, and it's confused a lot of people. And, and so for those of you that are just really wrestling with this same-sex attraction or what as my identity, I would encourage you to come back to the Creator, uh, the one who loves you and created you and, and how He created you. Um, I realize that in these relationships, there's a, there's a real connection. Um, there's a real affinity for one another and, and even a real love for one another. But the Bible teaches that God designed man and woman to be married. And, and if you're wrestling with this and you're struggling with it, or, or maybe you're even angry that, that I'm talking about the topic, reach out. Call us here. We'd love to serve you and minister to you and uh, I, don't, I don't stand in judgment on you of where you are in life right now, and I don't stand in judgment on you because you're, you're confused right now and you're not sure who to talk to. Um, I, I know that in all the voices that are out there, don't diminish and don't exclude the voice of God. 
don't exclude. I know there's a lot of people that want to help you and want to explain things to you. And as you're looking for explanations and as you're looking and listening for voices to help you through this, please, please don't exclude the voice of God. Find a Calvary near you and call the pastoral team there. Call us here in Aurora uh, from anywhere in the country. We'd love to serve you and pray with you and encourage you. And, and there is a way out, a way out to the will of God for your life. He loves you, and he proved that love on the cross. And his own son died and rose again so that you and I might be delivered, not just from this sin, but from all sin. So please do that. And just know that we love you, and we know that the Bible is true, and we know that as the Bible reveals to us his order and his desire for us, that's where we want to lead you and guide you. Thanks, Ed. Abounding Grace is made possible through the support of our listeners. And when you give a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace, you're invited to request a copy of Chuck Smith's book, Love the Most Excellent Way. Thanks for remembering Abounding Grace is made possible by the gifts of listeners just like yourself. When you give, you're not only helping us bring these studies to your station and others like it, but also helping thousands to grow in grace. Call 877-30-GRACE or visit calvaryaurora.org. And then be sure to join Pastor Ed Taylor next time for more teaching from the book of 1 Samuel. That's right here on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Chapel, Aurora. 